Um, well, it's good to be here with you guys. It finally feels like fall in the South Bay. Where are my fall people at? My autumn heads over here. Who is resistant to this season, right? Well, I'll tell you this. My wife and I, we did something crazy last night. We went to a concert, right? COVID concert. And it was in Joshua Tree. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Joshua Tree is generally like 5,000 degrees warmer than it is in the South Bay. So if you are still chasing that summer feeling, just get on the 91 and go to Pioneer Town, and it's nice and warm for you over there. Well, if you have been with us this fall, you know we have been in the Book of Acts here at Coastline. And last week, Sean preached on Acts 3, and tonight's story picks right up in Acts 4. But if you weren't here last week or if you forgot, I'd love to just recap it for you because the events of last week's story play a very, very big role in our story tonight. So last week, Sean talked about Acts 3, where Peter and John, they pray and they heal a man in the spirit. A man couldn't walk. They pray. He's able to walk, and he jumps, and he dances, and he's, he's so excited about being healed. And Sean said something last week that I loved. He said that the Holy Spirit gave Peter and John the eyes to see this man. Tonight, our story progresses into new territory where last week the Spirit gave Peter and John eyes to see. This week the Spirit will give Peter and John the words to say. Peter and John are given the words to say against a governing body that arrests them per for performing this miracle. Now this governing body is called the Sanhedrin or the Sanhedrin, uh, depending on how Greek you are. And it is a, it is a governing body and they, they come up a lot in scripture. And if you're, if that kind of Sanhedrin word trips you a little bit. It's because you've probably read them in the Gospels. They are the council that sentences Jesus to death. So they are definitely villains in the story of the Bible. And Peter has to go up against them. Peter and John are on trial because of this miracle. And the Spirit gives them the words to say. And it's more than just words because Peter and John are influenced and they are empowered by the Holy Spirit, the text says. And when the Holy Spirit empowers your words, they are not just words. They are authoritative, and they are powerful, and they are full of truth. And that is the only way that Peter can challenge the Sanhedrin. But tonight's story is really, really, really a story that happens a lot in Scripture. It's, it's a created thing putting themselves over the Creator. This is a story we see all the way back in Genesis 3 and throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. The creature, the created, put themselves over the Creator and actually put the Creator on trial. So the Sanhedrin, they stand above Peter and John and say, what gave you the authority to do this miracle? What gave you the power to perform this? They are assuming a God role, but we will see the ironic twist we see every time we encounter a story like this in Scripture that God stands so far above his creation. The creator asserts himself over the creation. And it's important for us, before we jump into the story, to kind of unpack the context of the Sanhedrin because our biblical authors will use governing bodies or, or, or this word of like government or powers, and they're really talking about this motif that comes up a lot in the Bible, which is the world. The world is this character in the Bible, and the world stands in opposition to the way of Jesus. 
This is something that's so crucial because what we see here is just another way in which the world stands in opposition to the way and to the message of Jesus. And when I say the world or when the Bible says the world, they're very rarely referring to like the cosmos or the planets or the stars or the dust under your feet or the trees or, or the things that maybe we see as like the created world. Scripture refers to the world as like the moral world. Basically, the totality of brokenness we'd see in politics, systems, human morality, things like that. The author John in 1 John describes it as this, and I think I have it up on the screen. John says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. So essentially, John is saying that you can see the world in action in these three ways. Lust of the flesh, which is like sex or lust in that sense. But I also get the sense that this is the idea of like uh, power and violence and using bodies in ways that they're not supposed to be used as like commodities and things like that. So that's what I would think lust of the flesh, and that's a mark of the world. He also says that it's lust of the eyes, which I would say is greed, envy, the tendency we have to be shallow or materialistic or um, this idea of like everything we see is all there is, like there's no supernatural. Like that's also lust of the eyes. Uh, philosopher Charles Taylor calls it like an imminent frame. Like everything within the world exists within this imminent frame. And so if something is saying there's no such thing as a supernatural, all you see is all you get, then that's another mark of the world. And finally, this idea of the lust of life or the pride of life, which I would say is idolizing life or the glorification of self. Now, you don't need a sermon to break down how we see these things in our life or in our day to day. Because you turn on the TV and the news is all about the world and how broken the world is and how people have screwed up the world and how the world is bad. And you're like, I don't want to engage with the news anymore. And then you watch the commercials and the commercials are like, buy this, it will extend your life and you can participate in the world. You're like, I don't want to watch commercials. And then you go on your phone, you turn on TikTok or Instagram and it's just an ad for how you can look this way and be this way and gain this power and extend this or look like this or this or that or this or that. And you just come to realize, man, the world is everywhere. It's a very appropriate name, the world. It is everywhere. And it's a very difficult balance for Christians because we are in the world, but we're not supposed to be of it. And God stands in opposition to the world, but he loves it. I mean, the most famous verse, John 3, 16, talks about how God loves the world. So there's this weird balance that we have as Christians to like love the world but understand that everything in the world stands against God, or the way of the world stands against God. And if you um, are, are a Bible reader, a note taker, I would direct you to 1 Corinthians 1 through 3. I would say this is Paul at his most scathing, talking about the world. But I want to highlight one passage, 1 Corinthians 3.18. Paul says this, Don't deceive yourself. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. The things that the world thinks is smart, God thinks is foolish. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. Again, what the world sees as wise, the Lord sees as the opposite. And is that not just the narrative of Jesus? He comes in and just flips the world upside down. The world says power, money, influence, status, and Jesus says, no, that is not the way to true life. And I want to beat this relentlessly 
I, I want to continue to say this because I just really want us as a community to understand that the world, it, it's a tough balance for us to be in the world and not of the world. Because I know that there's some people here today being like, Hunter, I, I can't completely abandon myself from the world. I can't jump away from the world. And I'm right there with you. I pray every single day that I don't die before the movie Dune comes out. Like I am, I am so excited. Like Timothy Chalamet will be a great Paul Atreides and Denis Villeneuve, oh, he is such a good director. Dune is going to be awesome. And I don't think the Bible is saying, don't go see Dune opening night twice. Like, that's not what I think the scriptures are saying. But it's also not saying, buy everything the world has wholesale. This is a difficult, difficult thing. And I think it's really difficult for Christians and for people in general, because we are very attracted to the world. And I think that's because, like the song says, we are the world, right? Like the world that, come on. I wasn't even born when that song came out. Come on. But... But, but what I want to say is that the reason that the world is so attractive is because our human hearts, it, the world is just human hearts on display, right? Like the reason that we so often want to be part of the world is because the world affirms our deepest held beliefs about ourselves, those negative ones, and offers us like salvation almost. Like we are insecure and we want power and we want to live forever. And the world comes in and says, yeah, you can have all of those things. Just pledge allegiance to us. And tonight's story is an example where Peter could give in to the temptation of the world. He could stand before the Sanhedrin and say, you're right. Whatever happened with this guy who couldn't walk and now he can, let's just forget about it. Let's not talk about this anymore. Let's not have this conversation. I'm not willing to tell you the truth. And, I, and he doesn't. I'm really thankful that he doesn't because a lot of the church in 2021 has a lot of the church in 2021 has given up that witness, has given up that resistance and just given in to the world. And I, again, I don't need to tell you that. You can just jump on Facebook. Things like COVID-19, elections, vaccines, masks, all the racial tension in America. We have seen Christians or churches slide into one or two sides of extremism. We've seen the ones who say, abandon it all. It's all bad. It's all destructive. It's all going to hell in a handbasket. So who wants to be part of this? I'm not listening to your mandates. I'm not taking your drugs. I'm not doing anything you say. It is my duty as a Christian to resist you. That is one side. But the other side is saying, no, the world's great. Everything the world has to say, all of the data, all the statistics, all the news, everything, I am buying that wholesale. That's my duty as a Christian. So we have these two sides that I think we've all experienced in some way or another in the past year as Christians. But I want to say that in Acts 4, Scripture provides us with a third way, a way that looks a lot more like Jesus, a way that's a lot more better, a lot more balanced, and a lot more loving. But when we, when we take this third way, the world really, really hates it. The world really hates the third way, and we will see that in full force tonight. And if I could say just one more thing, when we as Christians have this third way against the world, the world's going to do what the world's going to do. And they're going to take every tool in their tool belt, like silence and violence and power and influence, and try to strip things away because they are confronted with the message that is antithetical to who they are. But when the world does what it does, the Spirit's going to do what the Spirit's going to do. And we're going to see that tonight in Acts 4. So I'm going to pray, and I'm not going to have you stand up because it's a lot, and we're going to take it in kind of chunk by chunk. So I would really recommend that you have a Bible in front of you. There are Bibles in front of you in the pews. I know you have Bibles on your phones or on your watch now, which is super awesome. I'm, I'm loving that. Um, so let's pray, and then we will jump in. Lord, 
Thank you for this time, God. Thank you for Coastline. Thank you for all the families that got to dedicate babies here. Lord, we are a church that wants to be a family. And God, I'm so thankful um, that we can display that. We can display how much we want to be family where we're just dedicating children in the middle of service. God, and it's not some afterthought. It's not like, oh, we'll do that at some point. No, we highlight that, God, because we want to be a church that highlights the whole family whether it's children or youth, God, or parents or grandparents, God. Coastline wants to be a church that's about family. And so, God, as a family tonight, we're going to wrestle with a tough text. We're going to wrestle with a tough text that will challenge a lot of us. It'll challenge a lot of us in how we've been interacting with the world lately, or maybe how we've not been interacting with the world lately. And so, Lord, this whole passage, this whole book of Acts, God, is, is just saturated with the way that the Spirit does what the Spirit does. And God, I would just pray that you would continue to give us the courage to step into that, the courage to listen, the courage to believe that, God, your way of life and your way of existing in the world is better than anything that the world has to offer us. So, Lord, we are thankful for this time, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name that you would come and that you would just be breaking down walls in our own hearts and our own minds, God, and you would just be helping us unite around the truth, God, that you love us and you want us to be a proclaiming people who proclaim the truth about this world. Lord, it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so this first section is Acts 4, 1 through 4. I'll read it. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Now again, while they were speaking to the people, Sean's sermon last week talked about Peter and John's sermon post-healing this guy. So the action is picked up right away. That was episode one. This is episode two. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So you're coming into this passage, and there's some immediate tension. You sense this kind of like chaotic moment. They're speaking, Peter and John are speaking, and then these, these people come in, and they just take them. They seize them, the text says. And so who are these people? What is going on? Well, the captain of the temple guard is like the police chief of the temple guard. Their, their one job was to maintain law and order in the temple. So it makes a lot of sense that the guy who's supposed to maintain law and order in the temple is trying to maintain law and order in the temple. But there's this word, this group, the Sadducees, that, that, that's really important to highlight here, because the Sadducees are a group that come up a lot in Scripture, particularly the New Testament, and um, they're, they're this really religious and really, like, uh, kind of rich ruling group. Uh, John Stott says they're the ruling class of wealthy aristocrats, and they were, they were, right, and they were basically wealthy people doing what they could to rub shoulders and be included with the actual rulers, the Romans. So, so they're, they're, they're doing whatever they can to be included in this group, included in this governing body, and they're using their status to gain influence. So I, I want you to imagine you're using your status to gain influence. You want to maintain your power, and these two guys are coming in saying your power is not the ultimate power. It's very bad for business. You, you don't want that message to spread. So of course you're going to do whatever you can to stop that message from spreading. And so they're going to do whatever they can. They're feeling very, very threatened. But they were also a religious group. You see, they had these beliefs um, where they believed that the Messiah had already come or the Messianic age had already started, and they just said that no one can resurrect from the dead. They totally, totally rejected that outright. So they not only had a political reason 
for wanting to arrest Peter and John, but they also had a religious reason. And think about it. They're, they're giving up their religious witness to have power over people who are claiming this religion. It, it is so backwards. It is so, it is absolutely so lunatic, and it is so world 101 that people will use their beliefs. They will parlay their beliefs into influence. And so they're frustrated through and through with the Jesus, method, me, Jesus message, not the Jesus method. And with both of these things in mind, you can understand why they wanted to silence these two guys who had just performed a miracle. Again, a miracle is bad for business. They are saying to the world that they are the most powerful thing in it, that their political influence, their religious influence, it just stops with them. So some group is coming in and saying, yeah, we have a guy who was doing miracles, and then you killed him, and then he resurrected from the dead, and then he came back, and then he told us some things, and then he went up to heaven, and now we're like healing people in his name. That is a terrible thing for them. They want to do everything they can to stop that message. And then again, World 101, they seize and they arrest them. They isolate them. They don't know what to do with this new movement, so they just say, we're going to throw them in jail and we'll figure it out later. We're going to throw them in jail and we'll deal with it in the morning. Like, we're going to sleep on how we're going to arrest these guys. It's, it's absolutely crazy. But look what happens in 4-4. Many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about... 5,000. The world did what the world was going to do, but the Spirit did what the Spirit was going to do. In the face of Peter and John getting arrested, people still came to know Christ. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And so this is the tension that we have. This group that does not want this message to spread has arrested the two people who are spreading this message, who are performing miracles. And we are going to see how that plays out here. Let's read chapter 4, verse 5 through verse 12. And the next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. So were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? You see, again, they believe that they not only hold all the power, but they distribute the power. So they're like, who told you that you could do this? Who told you that you could act like us and give people the ability to walk again? Who, who gave you this power? They put the burden of proof on Peter and John. This is what the world does. They don't ask with curiosity, hey, how did you do this? How did this happen? They say, who gave you the right? Who gave you the power to do it? And then verse 8, kind of the turning point of our story. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness showed to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is, and then he quotes Psalm 118, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That's a spirit-filled response, where Peter can just go up in the name of them saying, hey, who gave you the power to do this? Peter says, Jesus did. And guess what? You killed him. That's a common response you'll see from anybody in Acts. You know who did this? The same guy that you put to death. The same guy that you killed rose again, and he gave us the power to do this. And they're trying to get to the bottom of this, and Peter's like, I'll give you all the answers you want. You're just not going to like them. I'll give you all of the answers you desire. I will tell you the truth. You are just not going to like it. And again, that is what the world does. 
You can present them with the truth and they will just plug their ears or they will fight or they will resist. Why? Because it's not good for their business. It's not good for what they do because Peter says it right here. Salvation is found in no one else. The one thing the world desires to offer us beyond anything is salvation, is fulfillment, is meaning, is that ultimate feeling that you get where you're like, this is who I'm supposed to be. The world would say, yeah, yeah, we can give you that. Just buy more. Or, or give up more, or, or, or come more into our systems or into our world, or believe more of what we have to say, or resist more of what we have to say. Be this type of person. The world says, no, we can give you salvation. We can give you salvation. All you have to do is just be on our side, be on our team. We are the ones who killed Jesus, but you should still be on our team. And Peter says, no, no, no. Salvation's not found in any human system. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. True healing, true fulfillment, true salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. The world promises us that. The world promises us fulfillment. The world promises us salvation. And Peter says, you just can't deliver. You just can't deliver. And again, you don't need a sermon for that. We have all been victims of this. We have all given ourselves over to the world, whether it was money or power or influence or a relationship or something in the world where we're like, man, if I just get this, if I just do this, if I just experience this, then I will be fulfilled. And then you feel fulfilled, but it's not true fulfillment because it doesn't last. And the world wants you to feel that because then you just come back and ask for more. You just come back and want more. But Peter says, salvation's found in Jesus whom you killed. Salvation is found in Jesus, whom you killed and rose again from the dead. This is a dangerous sermon. These are dangerous words that Peter is speaking, and I hope you get the sense that he should not be saying these things, but he totally is. And this is Peter. This is like Jesus denying, get behind me, Satan, Peter. And he's standing in a room full of the 1%, and he's saying, eh, wrong. You guys are wrong. You guys don't have the truth. The power differential here is crazy and can only happen through the Holy Spirit. Peter's flipping the table all over again. He's reenacting the Jesus story all over again. Because remember the last time someone filled with the Spirit stood in front of this group, what happened? They put him to death. And Peter's reenacting that right now. He's saying, I'll tell you the truth. I'll tell you the truth, and you won't like it. And Jesus says that. He says that this is going to happen. He, he promised this was going to happen. In John 15, 18 through 21, this is what Jesus says. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of this world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. And Jesus is just illustrating what's going to happen to him, what's, what's literally happening the next day to him in this story, and he's illustrating what's happening to believers. We will stand opposed to the world, and the world will respond how the world's going to respond. But if we, if we tap into the Spirit, if we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and we let the Spirit speak for us, then we will have a response that can actually silence them. The things actually happen. And so we'll finish the story 13 through 21, or 13 through 22. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, sick burn, by the way, that's a really awesome 
insult. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing with them, there with them, there was nothing they can say. I love that. Peter's like, hate what we have to say, but the proof's right here. It actually happened. You might not like the message, but you have to contend with the evidence that we have. There was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. They're trying to silence them. This message is bad for business. If more people keep getting healed, then they have to contend with two things. One, they're not the most powerful power in the world. And two, in their nearsighted power, they have left a lot of people behind. Because now that this guy is standing up in their court, he has to say, hey, why did you guys let me sit there for so long? Why didn't you talk to me? Why didn't you love me? Why didn't you care for me? What was that all about? Now they have to contend with that, which again, they are not equipped to do. So they have to silence the message. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach in all the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we've heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. So we have the conclusion here. They don't know what to do. They have to hold in tension this idea that this Jesus story and this Jesus narrative that's out there that's actually doing things like is really bad for them, but it's working and people are like walking again. And, and, and who knows what they're going to do? Who knows what kind of power they're going to evoke on earth? And so they're like, the only thing we can do is let you go, but just don't say anything. And then look at Peter's response. As for us, we can't help it. We cannot help we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. And I think that this is the third way for Christians. Not to go into this abandonment, I'm going to go in my doomsday bunker, and I'm not coming out, or I'm going to just do everything I can to look as much like the world. I don't think that's what Peter is advocating for here. Peter is advocating for a response that's just tell the story. Telling the story of what's happened to you, of what's happened to Christ, and what's going to happen to the rest of the world. That's the most apolitical, powerful thing you can do as a Christian, to just say, I'm not going to fall into your camps. I'm not going to fall into your beliefs. I'm just going to tell you what happened to me, because that's testimony enough. That's testimony enough. A, a lot of my life is spent riding bikes, um, and I ride my bike a lot with my friend Matt Butler, and we, we talk a lot on these bike rides, and, and a lot of times faith comes up, and Matt says something a lot. He, he repeats himself a lot, but he says this a lot too. Um, and he says, he says, I, I don't know like apologetics and I don't know like proofs, but I know that I was one person and now I'm not. And I don't know how to explain that. And if you're a Christian in this room today, you have that story as well. You have a story of your own healing where you were one person and now you're not. Or maybe you have a physical healing. I was, I was the guy sitting there on the, at the gate, and now I could walk again. Or I was the person who was addicted to this, and now I'm not. I was the person who acted like this, 
and now I'm not. I was the person who was this way, and now I'm not. And I can't explain that. It's no essential oil. There's no vaccine for that, right? There's, there's nothing that you can offer me from the world that will give me true salvation or true transformation. There just isn't. So if you're a Christian here today, you have the most powerful thing. You have a story. You have the story of not only what happened to you, but what happened to God who came and identified with humanity so much that he became human and died on a cross and rose again to show just how loved we are. That is the most radical message you could preach. That is the most radical thing you could say. And you have that story in you. Christians, that's our response. That's the third way. Tell the story. Proclaim what has happened to you. And it can only happen by the power of the Spirit. In our own strength, we'll try to tell that story, but it'll just be the story about us. We'll make it self-centered, or we'll make it, we'll make it this, we'll make it that. It has to be through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who has given us scripture that tells the story of a God who loves us and loves the world so much that he's wanting the people to experience what it means to have a new life, which is all the world tries to offer you. And Peter stands up in front of the Sanhedrin and says, I know what you're trying to offer, but, but I know who can actually give it. I know who can actually deliver. And Christians, if you are sitting in this room today, you have that story as well. You have that story as well. You were blind and now you can see you were dead and now you are alive. And so the question for us today, it's not like, you know, what blog can I read or what news site can I read or what facts can I learn? It's why am I not telling this story more? What is stopping me from proclaiming the truth of what's happened in my life? What's stopping me from talking to a world that's so against what I believe about what I believe? For a lot of us, it's pressure. For a lot of us, it's fear. For a lot of us, it's shame. For a lot of us, it's, man, we've already slid into one of the camps, and we're comfortable there. I, I don't want to give up my beliefs. I don't want to give up what, I, what I've read on the internet or, or what I seem to believe about myself or the world around me. That's not comfortable. But if we step out of that, then we actually have the true story of how we can live that third way. Or maybe, and I think for a lot of us, we just don't think our story is powerful. Or we don't think the story of the Bible is powerful. Peter felt that once. Peter felt that once. And we can just flip a couple pages over and see what happened when he felt that. But we can see that God is a God of grace and a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, a million chances, right? So, So Peter doubted the power of this story and God still includes him in telling it. And that is, our, that is our truth today. And as I think about Coastline, as I think about this family, as I think about who we should be in the South Bay into the world, I, I don't want Coastline to be like the most political church or the most like progressive church or like the coolest church. That's not, we're, none of us are concerned with that. Why don't we be a community that's the loudest? and tells the story the most. What if that was our legacy at Coastline? Not, man, those pastors know how to break down all the arguments, or they know how to engage with culture well. No, those pastors can't stop talking about what's happened to them. They can't stop talking about the baby dedications, or or the way that the youth group launched, or or the way that the children's program is awesome here. They can't just, they they can't stop talking about these things. It's almost like they believe it has some sort of power. And you know what? They invited me. They wanted me to see what this power was all about. 
So, so what if that was your week this week, where, where you told the story and you invited someone here to see what God is doing, or, or to any church to see what God is doing? Because God is on the move, and it doesn't just happen here or anywhere. It just happens when believers are gathered and where believers tell the story. So Coastline, may we be like Peter this week, clued into the Spirit, tapped into the Spirit, and telling the story, the powerful story of a God who came to us and rose again to show us how much he loves us and wants us to believe in his view of the world not the world's view of the world. Let's pray. I'm going to invite the worship team up. Lord, it feels like um, in 2021, this is a difficult message. Lord, I know I had a lot of apprehension preaching it. But God, I just know the more that I leaned on your spirit and the more that I leaned on your truth and the more I was just proclaiming, God, what you say in scripture and who you are, God, I just knew that that's the way. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would recognize that, that we as believers today would recognize, God, there is a way to engage with this world. There is a way to look at the world around us. There is a way to be in the world, and it's a way that's, that's connected to your spirit, and it's a way that's loud, where we proclaim the story. Because God's stories are powerful. We are storied people. Lord, I, I, I think a lot of us have been down the road where we're trying to find facts and figures and models to help explain our beliefs. Or God, some of us have just said, I'm, I'm over-explaining my beliefs because no one's listening. Lord, I just pray for those people tonight that you would give them the power of your spirit to just tell the story. Tell the story of what you've done and give them the, the courage to invite people into that movement. Because as we'll see, God, the church just continues to grow because they just continue to tell the story and they continue to live it out. So God, I pray at Coastline that we would continue to tell the story, Lord, and we would continue to live it out. And Lord, I, I would just pray that we would take this space right now, God, as, as we go into some worship songs, Lord, to just really ask, why aren't we telling this story more? God, why is it that we aren't telling the story more to our friends, God, to our coworkers, to our families, God, to our neighbors, Lord? Why aren't we telling the story? What is holding us back, God? And I would just pray for all, all of those honest moments in this room tonight, Lord, and that you would just break the chains and say, with your spirit, we can accomplish anything, Lord. People can walk again. People can come back from the dead, Lord, and you can do a lot of things. I pray we'd really believe that. I pray Coastline would be a church that really believes that. And Lord, we pray this all in your son's name, who came and flipped it all upside down, who showed us the real way of life and the real way of power is to just give it up. God, that the first will be last and the last shall be first, Lord. It's counterintuitive and the world hates